I'm Arlene Bynum for John Oakley. Thank you for joining me. Are you driving home? We already asked you if you're stoned, but this story, it's got to be getting even more play during the drive here because when you're you're on the road, as Peter Sherman just said, he's, you know, he's on the road early this morning. He's looking around after he heard that story and thought, who's behind me? Who's in front of me? And all, it makes a, a lot of sense, but it is a little bit alarming. What do we do? Do we have the proper process? in just a couple of weeks it's not going to be long it's going to be legal and you cannot drive while you're consuming alcohol while people are already doing it and thinking they're doing one heck of a job already as they drive after smoking marijuana Elliot Silverstein is joining me from the CAA and thank you for being here he's the manager of government relations Elliot it is great to have you thank you for having me all right I guess this doesn't surprise you does it uh, you know, in some cases, it doesn't surprise us in terms of the fact that it's being uh, used right now. But I think some of the uh, uh, statistics that we did see in terms of novice drivers and uh, the mixed use really were very telling uh, as we head towards legalization. It is. You know, people are concerned and there's a lot of people listening in their car right now. What is the, the solution? What is the way forward on this? We know what happens if you're suspected of, of of consuming alcohol. We know there's a ride program. We know what the evidence is. You walk a line, you blow. We don't have that. And we are heading into probably dangerous territory here. So more than anything else, right now, we need public education. Like that, that more than any other piece, whether it be mm-hmm. uh, road safety groups like CAA in combination with government um, um, and, and law enforcement, really helping people understand the, the rules of the road, the risks involved, um, the decisions to make is so vital because there are so many questions, not enough answers, and really not enough conversation about road safety. You know, a lot of conversation has gone into where it can be sold, how it can be purchased, but not about the effects on the road. And I think that's why this study, especially now, is so telling because it tells us what's happening right now and what may be increasing in the future. It is, but how can we educate if we don't have the answers? What do they say? Just keep in mind that it might not be safe. We don't even have a, a an amount that is allowed. It, there's all zeros here. At the end of the day, I think what we have to underscore is that impairment is impairment. And if mm-hmm. you're not able to mm-hmm. functionally mm-hmm. drive, you shouldn't be behind the wheel, whether it be cannabis, alcohol, or any other substance. You know, we, we, we spend a lot of time talking about alcohol, but really, if you're impaired in some degree, you should be putting the keys down. And, and I think that's the, that's the ultimate message here today, is that, is that really we want to remind people that driving is a privilege, and that if you're, if you're not going to be able to drive cognitively and safely, you need to find some other way home. I know, but one of the reasons it has worked with alcohol, I guess it's education. However, there is a penalty and a clear way to measure whether you're in or you're out. Again, we don't have that measurement. Are you saying that this, in the beginning anyway, is just going to be a matter of moral and ethics? So, so law enforcement have certain tools available to them. They do have, they, there are a number of officers trained as drug recognition experts, and that will all certainly help on, on, on scene of an incident to, to uh, get them towards having a, the necessary testing to check the impairment. I mean, certainly it's easier to detect alcohol and a lot quicker, but I think really what we're seeing right now is that law enforcement is getting prepared. They have the screening tests that will be available to them. But I think, you know, much like we saw with alcohol, and it's taken a generation to really get that message home, um, that, that, you know, you really need to educate 
educate people at all stages of life. But, but I think, you know, really what it comes down to from our study is that the, the fact that 40% of, of the cannabis users that are getting behind the wheel are in the G1 and G2 category, a category where if you are driving impaired, it's illegal and results in immediate suspension of your license. That's an opportunity. It is. What do you think worked with alcohol? What does your study say about what turned it around? Because it became unfashionable to a certain demographic. I just referenced the Dean Martin generation, but it sure wasn't wasn't um, unfashionable at that time. I, I think we're seeing right now, um, you know, a, a generation where people think that they can handle multitasking and a lot of different abilities. We talk about distracted driving in very much the same way. And a lot of people are looking at, at cannabis-impaired driving in mm-hmm. parallel with alcohol impairment mm-hmm. and, and, um, and distracted driving because people always will navigate to say, I can do it, but somebody else can't. But that's not necessarily true. You may think you can, but but in reality, you may not be you may not be able to. One of the things that our study showed us mm-hmm. is that we asked cannabis impaired drivers if they felt they would they drive more safely, less safely um, than, than a a sober driver. Fifty two percent said they did not drive as safe as a as a as a sober driver. Now that tells us not necessarily if they drive faster or slower, because slower is usually what we hear as as a response but safer. And safer doesn't always mean slower because depending on where you are, driving slow could be a very big threat. It really, really could. That was one of the most uh, shocking parts of your study, actually, is that people thought it was a medicine to drive better in a lot of ways. In, in the end, you know, I, I go back to what I was saying earlier, that driving is a privilege and that really the, the core responsibility is, is to be safe on the roads and to get to, you know, yourself and others home safely. So we want, we want to make sure that if, if you are choosing to, to, to experience or experiment with, with cannabis, that you don't necessarily have to get behind the wheel right away. As we look to the holiday season, where there's the opportunity and the potential to have alcohol combined with cannabis, which could change somebody's tolerance levels because they're not used to mixing two types of, of, of products, these are significant conversations we need to have now because um, in a couple of months' time, it's going to become potentially more prevalent. It is. How do you think that these commercials, this education, how should it be crafted, Elliot? You know, I think really what you see here is not, it's not necessarily going to be a one-size-fits-all mm-hmm. solution. Mm-hmm. I think what you're going to see is you're going to see people who have used cannabis in the past mm-hmm. and may become curious and, and, and want to try it again now that it's legal and that the, some of the stigma is taken off of it. At the same time, you're going to have a different type of message for those that are younger that think that they're invincible and don't necessarily realize the impact of what they're doing plus the fact that it would be illegal for them. So I think that as we approach this conversation... It's not necessarily going to be one type of, of, of product or one type of message that we're going to hit home. But we have to really underscore at the end of the day that we want to keep our roads safe. These challenges are out there now. People are concerned that there's going to be more incidents of marijuana-impaired driving going forward. Not necessarily accidents, but just the frequency. And that's what we want to try to avoid. We're not trying to change people's choices of using the product. It's how you use it and when you use it and in terms of getting behind the wheel. How are, just to put things into context, you know, the CAA keeping studies on all of this, how is the situation with drinking and driving? Is it, is it a certain demographic? Because we, we keep hearing that younger people are, are really get that message and they don't do it as much perhaps as their parents did. 
alcohol impairment is still an issue in society. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're still we're still seeing it. Mm-hmm. We still hear about it in the news. Unfortunately, it's 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 quicker to detect. You know, if if they were stopped by by a police officer, you know, I think that what what has succeeded is that much like seatbelts, and that's another area that you can look at. You know, back to when I was growing up, it's that you were taught in school about seatbelts and that the, the risks of not wearing your seatbelt. It takes a period of time, and I think that's where the success factor has been. Is that it was messages that that were that were conveyed time and time again, and that it became in a way taboo to not follow what you've been taught and that's i think where we have to go and that we're we're almost operating in real time with with legalization and we're trying to change habits and law enforcement trying to get themselves ready with new products to to be able to detect to detect these things this is a challenge where we're having multiple facets at the exact same time unlike any other thing that we've experienced thus far Let me ask you this, because the emotion in the driving forces is really important. They did it with cigarettes and tried to make it that, you know, it just wasn't hip and cool where it had been hip and cool for a while. You know, smoking dope, smoking marijuana when I was in high school was a form of rebellion. Now there are whole families that smoke together, whether it was legal or not. Elliot, is that going to be part of this where, you know, people are it's almost a family affair in some occasions already. It's not a form of rebellion. So maybe that minds can be molded a little bit more into doing what's right and safe. It's it's very possible. I think that, you know, when you look at the fact that, you know, again, like in terms of the rebellion, come October 17th, we mm-hmm. can see people that may choose not to smoke it because it's now available and suddenly it no longer becomes that that opportunity. There, there's, there's a lot of questions and not a lot of answers right now. And unfortunately, we have to be prepared for what might be on the roads uh, and, and in our society at large come the 17th. But certainly, I think that this study, what we, what we got to, we, you know, through this research today, is telling us that there's a lot of anxiety among motorists and that there's a lot of things happening on our roads right now that we need to be prepared for that it could be um, magnified going forward. Thank you for joining us, Elliot. We appreciate it. Thanks kindly. Thank you. Elliot Silverstein from CAA. They just did a big study that told us how many people, almost 2 million people in this province, say that they have been driving impaired. And 700 and something thousand of them said in the last few months, if you're on the roads, look around very carefully. We're not finished yet. We're going to go back and take your thoughts on some of the big news of the day. I'm Arlene Bonnet in for John Oakley. And this is Global News Radio 640 Toronto.